0: Turn, if you will, then to our text this morning, which is Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. I'm going to begin, though, at verse 1 and read to verse 11. Hear with me then the holy, infallible, and inerrant word of Scripture. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Thus far as reading of God's word. Now in Paul, now in verses four through six, Paul highlights for us his elite status as a Jew among Jews. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And upon hearing this list, someone might say, well, wow, Paul was really succeeding in his pursuit of righteousness. Why did he ever stop? He had quite the resume. If he were a, a high school or college student with a, a resume like this, he might be top of his class. If he were a professional athlete with a, with a list of accomplishments like this, you might say to yourself, he's a surefire hall of famer. But this is where the world airs. They think that whatever religion it is that you adhere to, Whatever God it is that you believe in, or even if you choose to believe in no God at all, all you have to do is be the best that you can be. Try hard. Be a good person. And if there is a heaven, we'll all get there. Salvation is a reward of our efforts. But you see, brothers and sisters, there is a great danger in looking to our own works. And trusting in your own works, in your own abilities. Because the more you do, the more works you do, the better you think you become. Isn't that right? This is why maybe some of you prior to conversion thought yourselves to be really good people. You looked around at your friends around you, maybe family members, and you said to yourselves, I do far better things than they do. They're selfish. They only care about themselves. I love others. right? They save up all their money and they only spend it on themselves. I donate to charity. They curse. They're boastful. I don't use profanity. And I'm quiet. And I'm humble. And the more and more good you believed you were doing, the more righteous then you became in your own eyes. And the more righteous you became in your own eyes, the less likely you were to see your own deficiencies and your own weaknesses. And the less likely you were to see your own deficiencies and your own weaknesses, the less likely you were to think that you needed a righteousness that was not your own. And that's dangerous, brothers and sisters. That, in fact, is deadly. And this was the attitude of the Judaizers they were telling the Gentile believers, mimic us. Mimic us. They looked at the Gentiles one to another and said, man, we're way holier than these guys. We do way more good than they do. They have to serve the law of God like we do, like God's people. If they desire to claim God as their own, they need to be holy and righteous like us. And that only comes through serving the law. And so we said... This was the cause then for Paul to highlight his status as a Jew. He was saying to the Judaizers, or to those who were listening to the Judaizers, if they think they have some righteousness before God based on their perceived merit, let me show you what true human merit looks like. What it entails. And then he went on to give his list, right? Listing his preeminence over these Judaizers In every way. But then in verse 7, what does Paul say? But whatever gain I had, I counted a loss for the sake of Christ. And why does Paul say that? Because although it appeared to all around Paul, to his peers, that he he had it all, he had everything. Even in this world today, we look at those who are rich and famous and we look to them and we say, man... They have it all. They have everything. What Paul understood is in fact, he had nothing. Paul had nothing. And so he goes on to say in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see, Paul counts all that he had or all that he had gained as loss not because it was all bad or wrong or all that he did was evil, but because those things hindered Paul from knowing Christ. His ancestry, his circumcision, his zeal for the law were not sinful in and of themselves. But they became harmful to Paul when he trusted in them for his own righteousness. And we see an example of this in scriptures in uh, Luke chapter 18. turn if you would like there with me and we will look at this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We're just going to look at a few verses Luke 18 starting at chapter er, Luke chapter 18 excuse me, starting at verse 10, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And we will see an example of this. So here, in verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this. God, I thank You that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast. Twice a week I give tithes, all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, what I'm talking about when I speak of the danger in thinking that you're good, and trusting in your own works, We see it played out here in this very prayer of the Pharisee. He looked at others as wicked and He looked at Himself as righteous based on what He did. He said, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I have. I'm not like others. Do you see what happens when you see yourself as good? You become blinded to reality. And then you start to make excuses even for your sin. And why do you do that? Well, because you're not like other men. They're wicked and sinful. You maybe make mistakes or you accidentally do something you're not supposed to. But it's not a heinous sin like those others. Right? But see, the wicked person, the one who knows he's wicked, the one who knows he's perverse, I tell you this, he is closer to the kingdom of heaven than the one who thinks that he is good. Even though this tax collector may have stole money, he may have overtaxed those, and he may have kept the excess money for himself. And let's just say, for example's sake, the Pharisee never stole a day in his life. This tax collector is in a far more favorable position than the Pharisee was, because he knows he's bad. Others know that he's bad. There's no deceiving himself and tricking himself to think that he is righteous and good because his sin is open for everyone to see. And I tell you that this is the one who is ready to be brought to his knees and to trust in Christ because this is the one who knows he has no righteousness. He knows he's evil. He knows he's bad. And he knows he needs a righteousness outside of himself unlike the Pharisee who thinks he's good. This is why, brothers and sisters, Paul counted all as loss. Because all those things that he's held in high esteem that he thought made him righteous, in fact, stood in the way of him knowing the Lord. And so the question for each one of us today is, are you willing to cast up all that stands in the way of you knowing your Lord? Or perhaps, does knowing Christ mean as much to you as it did to Paul? Do you see the surpassing worth of knowing Christ to be greater than anything that you have experienced before? Or do you still like to hold on to certain pet sins that you don't want to let go Or perhaps you like holding on to other things that might not be sinful per se, but still they stand in the way of you knowing your Lord more intimately. And that is what it is to know the Lord. To know Him intimately. To know Him in depth. To know Him in detail. Many people claim to know the Lord. We know many of these people. They claim to know the Lord, yet they know Him only superficially. Their knowledge does not bring about assent and trust. Their knowledge is not a knowledge that transforms. And this is not the knowledge in which Paul speaks of. For the knowledge in which Paul speaks of is one that is brought about by faith in Christ. As Paul says, Christ Jesus is my Lord in verse 8. Paul calls Jesus His own. And Christ is only Paul's Lord through faith. Through faith the Lord is yours and he is also mine. And how is it, brothers and sisters, that we have come to believe? Well, it is by the grace of God that you and I have come to believe. Puritan Richard Sibbs said this Grace makes you the opposite of what you once were. Isn't that true? Grace makes you the opposite of what? you once were. Right? That now as Christians, those things we once loved so deeply that we thought, man, I could never be happy in life if I was without these things. And now we are those who count them as rubbish. Just like Paul does. As he says here in verse 8, they're rubbish. They're worthless. And we would gladly give them all the way in order to gain Christ, wouldn't we? To know Christ. Yet, you and I, each one of us, may not have to give everything up in order to gain Christ. We certainly, most certainly, all must depart with sin. But I'm talking about those things that aren't sinful in and of themselves, like wealth. And speaking of having to give up all in order to gain Christ, Calvin says this, you yourself may not have to become poor to become a Christian. But if it pleases God that you should be, you ought to be prepared for it. And knowledge of Christ transforms us so that you and I are prepared for this in our life if this is what God calls us to do. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit And everyone's familiar with Romans 12:2 do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind Knowing the Lord transforms a person. It transforms you and I. Just like it did Saul on that Damascus road. This, the work of the law, cannot do. This is what Paul understood. The the law only condemned. The law says, do this and live. But it gave you no grace and it gave you no power to do it. But being in Christ, now we have that grace that we so desperately need. This is why knowing Christ is of surpassing worth. And so, brothers and sisters, we must learn to devalue that which is earthly. We must learn to devalue that which is temporal. Because doesn't this world from birth teach us that we ought to hold in high esteem that which is tangible? The accumulation of goods. This is why so few are seeking riches in Christ because you really can't see that like you can three houses and seven cars, right? But Paul teaches us the very opposite for the Christian. We are to hold in high esteem that which is spiritual, that which is heavenly. Those things withdraw us into closer communion with our God. And Paul says we are to hold in high esteem knowing knowledge. Knowledge should be sought constantly by the Christian. And this knowledge being sought after is knowledge of Christ our Savior. It is knowledge of God. And as we learn about who God is, we likewise learn about who we are. The more we learn about God, the more we learn about ourselves. And the more we learn about ourselves, the more we learn of our complete inadequacy before God. And that should drive you all the more to the Savior. And so daily, we need to be going to the Savior, looking for deeper communion with Him, learning to cultivate a greater love for spiritual things, cultivating a greater indifference for our earthly enjoyments, which then will allow you and I to be ready to depart with any good if that is what God has called for us to do. Yet, in gaining Christ, in being found in Him, what is it that Paul has? Why is being found in Christ so important to Paul? Well, he gives us really three things. Three reasons. and verses 9-11. through He says in verse 9, And to be found in Him, not having righteousness of My own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here is justification. We are justified, Paul says, through faith in Christ, receiving His righteousness. In verse 10, Paul says, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Here, brothers and sisters, is sanctification. Having Christ means we are growing in His image each day as we learn more about Him and as we are casting off or mortifying the deeds of the flesh. And then in verse 11, Paul finishes by saying, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What is that? That's glorification. We are partakers of the second resurrection to eternal life where body and soul will one day reunite because of Christ's death and resurrection. You see what Paul is saying in verses 9-11 through is that he wanted to be found in Christ because in Christ and in He alone is salvation. Paul finds salvation. Salvation in Christ alone. Paul's been saying, what I've been doing in my former life is not true righteousness because it wasn't perfect. You and I, we need perfect. We need perfection in order to stand in the presence of a holy God. And the only one who has ever been perfect, that one who is without spot, without stain, without blemish, is Christ Jesus. And so in gaining Christ, Paul received a righteousness that was not his own through faith. This is the same message Paul delivered to the Galatians. In chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, he makes the point. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And why can't we be justified by the law? Because we are all sinners. None of us keep the law. And so what has the law become for you and I? It has become a curse. A curse to which Christ has come and bore and died to free us from it in His passive and in His active obedience. Remember, as Christ bore the punishment for our sin from the beginning of His life unto the climax where He died upon the cross, yet also He lived perfectly righteous. He was obedient to the point of death, Paul said last chapter. This is that righteousness that you and I need. This is that righteousness which Paul is speaking about. Christ's righteousness. And we don't receive it through working. This world teaches us that those who work the longest, those who put in the most effort, those who put in the most work, receive what it is they desire but Paul teaches that it is those who cease from their works and who rest in Christ and His works alone and lay hold to them through faith. They are the ones who receive the perfect righteousness of Christ. And wouldn't we all, you and I, each and one, every one of us, say that having the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, credited to our account, is of surpassing worth to anything that you and I could have done in our former life and sought righteousness through. Isn't that true? The great German theologian Martin Luther is quoted as saying, justification is the article by which the church stands or falls. Do we not see truth to that? There is no salvation... If there is not justification, if we follow the teaching of these Judaizers that faith in Christ, that salvation comes by faith in Christ plus merit, we ought to just pack up all of our stuff and go home because we're wasting our time. Because we would be no different than every other one of the world's religions which teaches salvation through your own merit. See, this is why the church is thought so long and so hard to protect this doctrine of justification. Because without it, there would be no church. Justification is foundational to the Christian religion. For being justified, you and I now stand in right relation to God. reconciled. And so, do you want the reward which comes from the works of your own hands? Or do you want the reward of the works of Christ. And so if you do not believe in Christ, know that you must look outside of yourself for righteousness. A righteousness which only comes through faith in Christ. For believers, we must continue to believe the Gospel that we have received, yet out of gratitude and thanksgiving and love, we are to walk obediently before our Lord. We do not obey the law to add to the righteousness of Christ, but rather we obey as it is the rule and guide for how children of God are to walk on this world. And so this should be our desire. Yet also, do not fall into the trap of looking to your left and to your right and comparing yourself to your brothers and your sisters. Oh, I'm better than him or I'm better than her. For we all need the righteousness of Christ. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. But in saying this, this means then that justification isn't all that there is. Because as Paul teaches, we must be concerned with the manner in which we live. And why is that? Well, what, is, what else did Paul say he received in Christ? Well, look once again to verse 10 where Paul says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And what is this we said? We said this is sanctification. Paul wants to know Christ, and he wants to experience the power of the resurrection. Even sharing in the suffering, becoming like him in death. Paul wants to know Christ rightly. He wants to learn of Christ in our redemption. But he also wants to experience it. He wants to experience it. Do you not desire to experience the power of the resurrection in your own life? You should. Because just knowing is not sufficient. One who knows of Christ, yet has not experienced Christ, has only had knowledge. And that is not true in saving faith. For remember, we have said that saving faith, saving knowledge transforms and so we must long for transformation we must long for daily transformation and don't you experience that when by the grace of god you daily receive all that we need spiritually don't we experience it when daily we can come before our god and pray to him and offer up our prayers and supplications and we see them being answered, do we not experience it when we, are growing, when we grow in love, which allows us then to deal with maybe those co-workers who mistreat us? Or do we not experience it when we grow daily in peace so that we are not worried or anxious by maybe a, a health diagnosis that we receive? Because we know that the Lord is in control do you not experience the power of the resurrection? Would you desire and are able to flee sin and temptation now? Or when your heart's desire is to daily mortify sin, when now you long and you love after spiritual things and you want to do everything to glorify God, this is the power of the resurrection in your life. In this way, you are experiencing it. Yet again, we see Paul talks about sharing in suffering. If before this study, you did not understand that suffering is a part of the Christian life, I I guarantee you know that now, don't you? As Paul has repeated it over and over again through this epistle. And he's doing it to display the fact to us that the Christian life is not an inactive life. But rather, if we are those who are in Christ, we must likewise to some degree share in those very same experiences in which Christ did. This is what Peter teaches us in 1 Peter 2, verse 21. Saying, "For to you this ha- For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His footsteps. Or Peter, a few verses later, says in verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. This is sanctification. Christ died that you and I might walk in newness of life. That we might be ready to share in the sufferings of Christ. That we would mortify sin and daily be growing in pure in pursuing holiness. Let me ask you, is this your desire? Is this your desire? Or are you still engaging in strife? In fits of anger? In dissension? In divisions? Because these things accord with the flesh. They are opposite of the Spirit. And Paul says that these, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, but if we are believers, Lord, if we are believers of the Lord, brothers and sisters, then we ought to have the fruit of the Spirit. Which is what? Goodness and kindness and patience and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These things which the law cannot grant to you if you desire to live by it. But, it is we who are of Christ, aren't we? We are of Christ and we are those who have the Spirit. And so that means that we must be ready ourselves daily for battle. That we do not grow slack. Because sin and temptation is around us constantly and daily. And it wants us to entertain it. It wants us to participate in it. But if we know Christ, we have experienced the power of the resurrection. And Christ has defeated sin, death, and the devil, so it can no longer have dominion in your lives anymore. Christ has made you free. So live as freedmen. Live as freed women, And you can, because you have received the righteousness of Christ. You have received the Spirit who applies all the saving benefits of Christ in sanctification. Yet finally, Paul also speaks of glorification. When he says that he counts all things as rubbish in order to gain Christ, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, the Apostle has just described the way in which we have already, in the here and now, tasted the first resurrection. Yet now Paul goes on to describe the future resurrection or the second resurrection. This Paul desires to attain. And yet there are some who might like to take these words of Paul and twist them to have them say something that he did not desire to have have be said. They would read this and some might say, see, Paul says that I that by any means possible I may attain or I might attain. And they would say, see, Paul is unsure of the second resurrection. He's not sure of it. Yet we know that this is not the case with Paul for Paul preached the resurrected Christ. And on the basis of that, Paul knew and was sure of his own resurrection. Remember, this is why he was in prison to begin with, brothers and sisters for preaching the resurrection. But rather, what we see here in Paul is him describing, in the humblest of terms, his sure hope of the resurrection. But see, Paul wasn't willing to presume upon the grace of God. Paul was a humble servant of the Lord. So he was not unsure. Rather, he was so sure... He even went on to describe what the bodily resurrection will be like, didn't He? You can look at that in your spare time in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But Paul describes a day and a time in which all sin, all affliction, all suffering is gone. And he can't wait to be raised imperishable, incorruptible, in glory, and in power. And yet, this will only occur for those who are found to be in Christ. Because those who die apart from Christ will experience eternal hellfire. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And so, if you are seeking righteousness based upon your own workings, then you are not in Christ. You cannot know Christ intimately. You cannot have the Spirit you are not being sanctified and you will not see the res- second resurrection unto eternal glory. Do we now see why Paul was willing to count all as loss for this gain? Why he esteemed knowing Christ as being of surpassing worth to everything that he knew prior? Do we see that now? Let us count our former lives as lost. Let us be found not having our own righteousness, but that righteousness which comes through faith in the most perfect and holy Savior. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank You for Your Word which is true and righteous and good and holy. We ask, Lord, that You would, through Your Spirit, continue to teach us What it is You would have us to know through these words of Christ that You would show to us each day more and more our unrighteousness, our need to depart with any confidence or trust we have in ourselves and to wholly cast all confidence and trust upon our Savior Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that You would give us a greater desire to know Christ to know Him more intimately, to, more, to know Him in greater depth, to know Him in greater detail, that our knowledge would not be superficial. But, Lord, that we would pursue holiness and godliness in our spare time, not using our time idly to do things that are, ought not to be even named amongst the saints. Father, we ask for this grace that grace would abound in our lives. That we would desire, just like Paul, to count all his loss for the gaining, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, Father, we come before you this day and we ask all of this in Jesus Christ, your Son, in our Savior's name. Amen.